Hey everybody, this is Jessica Manley and you are listening to the Young Farmers Podcast. This episode is the final part of our five-part series where our grassroots manager, Faith Schaefer, interviews leaders who organize at the intersection of racial equity and sustainable agriculture. Today's episode highlights a project from the coalition's own network, run by Yvonne Sandoval of Bueno Para Todos, Dare Arrow of Good Trouble Farm, and Abiodun Henderson of Gangsters to Growers. Yvonne, Dare, and Abby met in a Convergence Zoom breakout room in November of 2020. They are self-described badass organizers, healers, parents, seed keepers, farmers who are Black, Latinx, and Indigenous. They are planning a week-long celebration filled with skill shares, hands in the soil, and foundation building in August 2022 on Pecos land in New Mexico. This week-long bonding ritual is a platform for farmers to celebrate and share their budding wisdom and support each other's healing along the way. Faith talks with Dare, Abby, and Yvonne about this project, which is still in its early stages, and about the strength of being in good community and finding purpose as we dive into organizing. So thank you all for being here today. Um, Can you kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and your farming backgrounds? Kind of the glue to our whole situation here is Yvonne. Um, So I think uh, I'm going to let her go ahead and get us started here. (laughs) Thanks, Derek. Yeah, my name is Yvonne Sandoval, and I reside on Pecos territory, Pecos Pueblo territory in Villanueva, New Mexico. And Abby Odun and Dare and I all had the opportunity um, during Convergence to meet. And we were, it just, you know, things happen for a reason, right? So we actually had a moment where we were separated out into a Zoom group. And there was a question that we were supposed to answer, but I think we just all wanted to go, let, we were all ready to go a little bit deeper. So it just happened to be um, myself, um, Abby Dare, and I think there was like two other folks in the, in the call, if I'm recalling right. And we just started talking about like the celebration and healing between black and brown folks and how important that is, um, especially in these times. Um, it was actually kind of just an opportunity for us to set the path forth um, to really do this work in celebration with one another. So I actually um, live in Villanueva and I'm um, a farmer, single parent, farmer, a therapist, um, and my my greatest joy here is running um, a farm called Bueno Para Todos, which we're um, a BIPOC, queer, matriarchal-led indigenous farm. And so we're just blessed to be able to be doing this work collectively um, with one another. Greetings. Uh, I'm a Biozun uh, Henderson always representing the crew tribe of West Africa, known to be the hardest to enslave, and um, definitely glad to be in this space. I started farming uh, during the Occupy movement. Um, Brother Malik Rasan started Occupy the Hood, and uh, he was also from New York, as I was. Um, And Occupy the Hood was just like create programs in your community, food first. Uh, And I was like, yes, I want to do that. 
and ended up in uh after starting the garden on my block ended up at this uh premier black farm here in atlanta where i live now uh truly living well i went through their six-month urban growers training program and now just uh run a training program myself that empowers formerly incarcerated uh young adults um by teaching them how to grow food um well i'm dare uh I came to this um, from the food. Yeah, um, I've been a chef working in uh, restaurants. I found out was a really hierarchical, aggressive system uh, that was more about giving folks as little as you can for as much as you can get out of them um, from top to bottom. I don't see food that way. It's an exchange of energy. I don't really believe in a hierarchy of life. We are all one and the same. And I think that this separation between ourselves and nature, we are nature. And one of the most insidious and powerful things about white supremacy is that it tells us a story that this is always how it's been and always how it will be. So yeah, I'm just on the path and I followed the food. I worked in kitchens. Uh, I cared about the ingredients. I began being the person to go to the farmer's market, talk with the farmers and growers. During the fires in California, in the Bay Area, I noticed that all the farmer's market workers who are white, queer, liberal, they had masks on for the smoke. But when I drove by the fields, those same farmers didn't provide them for their farm laborers. And so probably some of my direct forms of not accepting these things anymore was texting them directly, their farm managers, and saying that, saying, you know, as a chef, I'm not going to cook any of your food unless you're taking care of the people. And it just became frustrating going further and further back, doing more and more work so that I wasn't doing unintentional harm. Yeah. And now uh, I just decided, fine, if that means I need to grow the food and cook the food and serve the food to make sure that people are being cared for, then that's what I'm going to do. And it turns out there's actually a lot of other people like me. And I think we all were at a point where we sat in this room and we said, we're done trying to convince people. There's so many of us that already feel this. Let's see what we can build together. I met Yvonne and uh, yeah, we we all just come together. It's, It's not a hard thing anymore. How, I got into this and got to this place has been my whole life of not understanding why we've been so separated. None of the folks involved with this like had some random realization during chaos last year or any of that. This is literally the only way we can live. And um, we're trying to make that happen. I don't know, there's my (laughs) intro. Thanks, Darren. Thanks all of you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about what you all are building? So as Darren was saying, you know, when, it, when we got, when we ended up in this Zoom room together, we started talking about the history of our, our shared history as indigenous people. Many of us are, our lands are being occupied where Abby and um, Darren's lands, they've, they've been removed from their lands. They've been stolen from their homelands. And that that shared history is 
that our exists our current existence is actually our celebration our common shared celebration and um, all the ways that we have this opportunity right now to build um, relationships with one another and truthfully like the way i see it is reclaiming our relatives um we're here on this land together um so many of us have had so much history historical context and historical trauma building these lands um and harvesting in under horrible really horrible conditions but the reality is we've all been we have this historical knowledge between us of working these lands and that work hasn't always been celebrated. And so now we have this time in history where we can really celebrate with one another, even in the challenges in the midst of everything that's happening, horrible things are happening. But we also have to take that time to celebrate with one another and to continue to heal those ancestral lines collectively. Um, so that's actually what we're gonna be doing. We're really looking forward to this work together. And like, this has just been, it's just been a beautiful, journey with each other. And so here we are, um, we have this week planned, um, this week long celebration with each other where we're going to be doing Skillshare, we're going to be building projects together. There'll be two uh, land bases here um, where I'm at in Vianueva and in Powake territory where we're going to be doing this work, praying together, um, doing traditional um, African baths together and sweat lodges together. So praying in our traditional ways with each other too, because that's, that is part of celebration. Yeah. We're very excited on our side, you know, to be able to bring young people to be able to bond and commune with our indigenous families. Like there's some healing that needs to happen between our communities in order for us to build, uh, around and through this uh, white supremacist system um, that has tragically affected both our communities, all of our communities um, and communities all over the world. So it's just like, what comes to mind is the song immediately, it's the Bobby and Whitney song. We got something in common. But it <laughs> just popped into my head. But yeah, we got some things in common. And for those listening, I have a beautiful five-month-old baby girl. So you'll be hearing her in the background. You knew I was talking about you. Yes, you did. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a beautiful thing. And also, you know, coming from Atlanta is... Uh, my chosen tribe, uh, constellation called tribe, hashtag that, look it up. (laughs) But a wonderful group of uh, Black women um, that are Black agrarians, earth workers, you know, uh, custodians of the earth, as we also like to call ourselves, um, that are coming through to, to heal and bond and uh, celebrate um, with our people so yeah That'll be great <laughs> that that was actually a large part of it at the conference and throughout my life I've been thinking of how much how often commodified food systems uh, cut out life or separate it um, and how unaccommodating a lot of farm spaces are to 
uh, the young, old, the differently abled, and to to mothers, you know? <laughs> and looking at that, like, we got involved in these conversations because as someone that does not have a child, I need that perspective to know how we can make that warmth and make that space. Um, farms have never just been about food. And I think that's actually one of the hardest things to see right now is food be isolated as something that's not inherently tied to our cultures, our past, our future, um, to our ethics and morality. You can't just separate all these things from one another. So to have a farm space where you are, are raising animals, but you have no space for raising people. I mean, farms were never just farms. Farms were places where you could go and register to vote as a black person and know you were gonna be protected. Um, it's been the source of revolutions, of education. If you have food, you have self-determination. That community is what makes us strong. We were never meant to do any step of this by ourselves. Um, and building in a way that's not codependent, but is actual solidarity and actual community. Uh, we talk a lot about why we do this. What are we protesting for? What do we want equity for? So much of our growth as communities comes in response to terror and to hostility. And we wanted to create a space where we could see how we would grow and develop together out of our own joy, out of what we desire instead of what we are pulling away from. So we're just trying to create space so that the next, you know, the next generation can actually breathe. How did you all move from that moment of recognizing those things in common with each other and feeling that need for community to deciding to have a, a gathering and plan a gathering week and a celebration week? I think it was just that moment. We were just like, we were having that conversation and talking about all these ways that we've been separated. And I think we were just like, well, let's meet up again. Let's see what, what comes out of this. Because the reality is we're having this deep conversation, right? About um, the other issue that came up in that conversation was this, this reality that like a lot of times black and brown people will fight about land, right? Like not recognizing all the bloodshed that Dare's talking about. And the reality is there's not a problem with land. There's a problem with white supremacy owning 98% of this the land in the United States. Yeah. There's not a problem with that. <laughs> plenty of land, and plenty so, of food, plenty of resources. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's what we're that's that's the part that we're looking to dismantle. The other side of that is the celebration of each other, our our reunification with each other as relatives. And so that it it actually just started to roll from that moment. I think we were just like, well, let's meet up again, you know? And and now here we are several months later getting ready to kick off this work, August 2022 of our celebration. We're working on really pollinating this work. So outreaching to other organizations, like Gabby was talking about La Placita here in New Mexico, it just so happened that there are two organizations, which is awesome because now this like builds out even multi-generational aspect of the work that we're doing and we have our you know some of us have children um that have been really like included in these conversations but also like just with our with each other i mean this is this is not about just 
our generation here. This is about setting forth that generate that seven generations out so that everything that we're planting here is moved into the future. This is what our our ancestors collectively dreamt of. Like we are here where our existence is is our reality. And so it's a miracle that we've been able to survive all these things. And so here we are now setting the next seven generations out. It's an interesting thing. There is no like flow chart or spreadsheet we followed to like organize this. Knowing, naming and trusting the abilities and the dedication of the folks that we're working with, there is no, the biggest part I think about our work has been the lack of performative energy. Once every few weeks, we would just gather to talk. It wasn't like hitting an agenda. And that's been happening since convergence. And as things naturally evolve, when you're in good relationship to others, like more and more skills, more depth gets brought to the table and more community because we've been growing each month in this organic way. And the folks who have the skills that we haven't yet are showing up to to offer them. You know, like this is not work that is um, based in like these people are powerhouses and look at how they got this done. It's actually how much can you help somebody else lift that? Like, like this is something that anyone can do. We just decided we liked each other and wanted to do something together with what we had going on and that we would make that happen. I mean, I think it's worth noting that so far this is done entirely off our own material expenses and energy. And often that's what it takes for people of color, for black and indigenous people, for women particularly, you have to like do all the work first before it gets recognized. And I think we're just so used to that, that we just got to work and don't really, the folks that wanna be involved with that and do that work are coming towards it. And we're not worried about chasing anyone else. Yeah, and speaking of like showing up and pollinating work, Dare actually uh, about a month ago came to visit me here in New Mexico and is actually making her way back over here so we can build together and so we can kind of plan out what that what the lab base is going to look like for the 2022 event and so you know that's that's all part of it right it's just like she came out here on her own time to really do that work super appreciative of of her for for making those efforts but that's that's exactly what it takes and we're not you know we don't have any specific funding at this point um right now but we are making the efforts because we really believe in the work wholeheartedly i mean it's exciting for all of you and it also is a huge amount of work to do that lift and do that lift on your own time and your own dime so i don't know i want to give you all like a verbal round of applause and cheers and celebration because you're doing so much. And um, I mean, people listening won't be able to see your faces, but you can just see the passion of like you all bouncing off each other. And it's clear that you're in such a strong community and that that's so much of what it takes to be able to pull something that you're doing off. Um, I also wanted to highlight the way that you've talked about really just being authentic and showing up to the space and what you all can offer and being there for each other. One of the things that I think can be really intimidating to folks who have a big dream or who have a community but don't know where to start is feeling like they need to adhere to an agenda or a plan. What would you say to someone working on a project in where you all were six months ago about what has been effective for you and what advice would you give? What have you learned? 
relationships is, you know, is the base of uh, everything. Forming relationships, especially this type of work, land work, healing work, you know, you, you really want to form some type of relationships with your, with your people. I think a lot of times when we're doing organizing work, we're like, oh, we've got to bring everybody to the table all at once. And like that time with you to me was like so special, right? Like we, it was like that one-on-one -on -one time. And then the next time that we met, um, it was just Dara and I. And so then it like sort of grew out of that. So we're all, you know, like as small as beautiful, like the relationships is what's core for us. And I think that's the piece that's that's really important. Um, something else that we've really tried to prioritize in terms of like making things a little bit easy for ourselves is really think about like intergenerational needs. So we usually try to prioritize like a time that um, the mothers can actually meet. Um, and so make, and then everybody else is really great, has been really great about creating space for that so that our children, we can, tend to the needs of our children too. Um, and so like all these badass aunties are like doing such a great uncles are like just doing this amazing job of like supporting that way um, to make space so that it does become intergenerational because that's how indigenous people all over the world move. We're relationship first because I find that as we're coming together, we are constantly evolving. I think it's really being able to bring your natural tendencies to the table, not as like a, uh, a flaw or a virtue. They just are how you communicate and work. And that being what our system is built around instead of us fitting into the system. So as far as gathering goes, and what I would say just for other folks looking to kind of do this is find people you actually enjoy working with. You know, like if you lead with that, like how do you feel after you leave a meeting with this person? Because it doesn't really matter what the purpose is. Like it doesn't matter what you're trying to get done. I found that if you're working with someone and you will constantly feel smaller, your true purpose isn't going to get done. Like that's not how you should feel. Like we should feel good. It doesn't mean that there isn't hard work to do, but it's the satisfying kind of hard work. So that's what I would say. It doesn't really matter what skills someone has. If they don't make you feel good. They don't need to be a part of your work. And maybe if we did more of that, we'd get a little further, right? It sounds like you all have made a huge effort to not use up each other and the people you're involving in this project. And I'm curious as you go forward, you know, aside from just really enjoying each other's company, which sounds key and is so special, um, what are some of the things, you know, I hear meeting at times that work for the mothers and making sure that this is a space that can be intergenerational. How else have you built structures to kind of get ahead of making sure that you aren't using each other up? I'll say this really quickly that I've noticed is that we're taking a, a lot of time to plan this. Taking our time because I feel we're understanding the importance of this and what we're starting and a tradition that we are beginning, you know, um, I think that's one of the key things. We're growing like trees here, okay? We um, are perennials rather than annuals, you know? We are all complete beings outside of this work. Um, and I think that's a part of it is that we all are really 
trying to to really see those different aspects. Like this is something we want to be regenerative for us to be able to continue on, which means it needs to be something that is self-supporting, you know, that, that it's so interwoven that it's, it's strong and that takes a lot of time. Weaving takes time. That's what it really feels like we're doing. It is, it is very, very regenerative, regenerative because we're coming to it with our full selves. Um, and also this place of like, hey, like I, I can't do a lot of travel right now to go like weave that web, but there's like doing that piece. And like, you know, like Brit's really great at like doing some notes, like that's the stuff I don't want to be doing. <laughs> But like I can keep us on track in this other in this other pace or like people will come together like somebody will have like this like brilliant brilliant idea and doesn't necessarily mean that they're the person that needs to write everything up but they contributed in that way and that was their medicine. And so just recognizing that we're all coming together with our own medicine and that's actually is what restores us to health and that's part of the healing. It's so organic. So true. <laughs> so true. It's hard to describe what it is to walk within your purpose, but it's like if you need to get to the top of the stream and you're standing in it and it's up to your waist, right? You're walking. You can feel you're walking against the current. You may still need to get up there. You may still be doing a good job and you're making progress. But the feeling when you're going downstream, you know, where you're trying to walk in the same direction of the water. That's what that is. That's what this work is. Because we're a bunch of people that feel the same about a certain thing. And so we're all doing what we can and what feels right to open that space up for others. And I think that's kind of what this is about, is just finding the other people around you that are like, yeah, let's just try and do one thing a day right in front of us. But once you start doing that, you're going to find the other folks that like to help the same way you do. And I think that's really what it's about. That was beautiful. I'm not going to get all cheesy, but I did tear up a little with the stream piece. I was like, I've never heard it said that way, but it is. It's like there's an ease in finding your community and all of that work that can feel overwhelming or scary or like an uphill battle starts to feel life-giving. I want to open up a a space just to share anything else that you want people to know about this work, advice for others, anything like that. It's obvious that we're hurting out here. Uh, when we think about gun violence in, in Black community, where uh, my folks don't value themselves, when we think about the suicide rate, uh, when we think about alcoholism, when we look at children in the streets of Atlanta selling water, you know what I'm saying? And elders begging for a dollar and young people now starting to beg for a dollar. Like all that is signs of a sick society. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely understand and I'm yearning and then working towards changing it all and shifting it and getting back to becoming self-sufficient and, um, and loving and uh, putting children and elders first and um, all the things that was with us for all the generations that we've gotten away from. So um, this, that's, that is part of what this is, this convening us coming together is, is all about. The thing that you need the most is to curate 
a an endless compassion of giving away your whole loaf of bread without even checking if you have one because that's like that's it and just knowing just knowing in your heart like that if you're hungry somebody else is going to have that i guess the last thing i would say outside of this work is that leads me to always being in trouble uh december i bought my acre i am <laughs> table to farm right at this point so the goal is to grow food provide that food process it not sell it as as raw whole food but cut it prep it sell that as ebt eligible food and then prepare it as a service my goal is to be able to provide the ritual of fine dining to folks that absolutely deserve that we all deserve the ritual of a good meal i know i'm getting kind of tangential but that's what i'm doing at good trouble farm and table um in california is right now i am cultivating for my pantry and larder i realize i haven't mentioned a dang thing about my farm so there we go. And it's not tangential what you're saying. I mean, farms were never just farms and you're living that and providing a really great example of, of what that means. I want to close with a question. When is the first time that you realize that you have power? I grew up in an environment where I was forced to repeat that I had no power, um, which I left as a teenager. Um, and so I think the underlying level that's always been there for me was when I thought I was worthless. The point when it shifted for me was realizing how much I could help. And I started community service young. And it's been through that and finding other helpers that has led me to feel that maybe I am not so bad. Maybe I'm good trouble. That's So it's a very emotional circle for me. And it's a very important question. It was when I decided to stop trying to prove myself. And so it's just been in this past few years. And then in that work, when I followed that and followed folks that see me as worthy, I can do so much more. So I guess now, I guess this past year, you're seeing six months of power at this point, you know, and it's just getting started. Yeah, I feel like if this is just dare at six months, like look out world. Um what I force for good you already are. Oh, and I got a therapist about six months ago too. So, you know, I would also recommend that for <laughs> seizing power <laughs> and organizing it. And that therapist wasn't Yvonne, by the way. Don't use your friends as therapists, even if they are professionally. <laughs> That's my PSA. I, I had the same reaction to the question that Dare did. I just felt like it was, it, it's, it is triggering because Everything about us tells us that we don't have power when you're a product of white supremacy. And so you have moments like this is where like even this shared space with each other that we have this group that we have, that's that moment. That's such a powerful moment for all of us, I think. And that's the moment where we find power a lot of times. And so sometimes I think like through like the, that's just the realities of like queer, non-binary, black, brown, like you put all the layers, low income, like all of the layers of our realities there, we have to find it in different places. And so it's like, it's like this constant tre treasure hunt in some ways, because you're going to find pockets of it, but it doesn't mean that you're always feeling that way. But I think the powerful thing like about our work together 
is like helping us to really define what that looks like because all these systems outside of white supremacy are actually powerful and that's exactly why the freaking system is scared of us right like this is exactly what they don't want to find out they don't want to find people don't want us to find out that food is medicine people don't want us to find out like they don't want us to have relationships with one another they don't want us to realize that there's plenty of land they don't want us to realize that like um these relationships these commonalities with one another are actually like sacred ways of being with each other and so like all of that like the more and more like we unpack that the more and more yeah it is dangerous for the system because it's a complete disruption of it what our ancestors have collectively been through i mean come on most people couldn't survive that right but here we are and now we're unpacking these other places where that is powerful and so it's cyclical and it's it's always in constant motion um and it's always a constant journey. There's, I mean, I, I'm, I figured I like have to figure it out every day <laughs> and it's not easy. It's not easy. Like, and I'm telling you for somebody that actually is in behavioral health, like the journey is not easy. And, um, yeah. And so as just like Dara, like we're all, we're all figuring it out and we're just getting moments of, of that and that magic with each other. And now a message from New Mexico Senator Ben Ray Lujan about hearing from young farmers directly. Just want to say thank you to the National Young Farmers Coalition for inviting me to share a few words with you. This is United States Senator Ben Ray Lujan from New Mexico. And just wanted to say how much I appreciate you reaching out and especially the importance of hearing from young farmers directly. I grew up on a small farm in New Mexico, uh, learning from my great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents the importance of working that land. Now, we grew up as self-sustenance farmers, whether it was cleaning up those barns or digging out those ditches and irrigating those fields, but we knew that every job mattered. There was no job too big or too small. Everything made a difference. You all are on the front lines. You understand the importance of making sure that people all over the United States have the food they need, uh, to stay strong and healthy. And you're all on the front lines as essential workers, and you deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. As your senator, I'll continue working to make sure that we're able to elevate your voices and work together. And now we'll hear from Western Campaigns Director Aaron Foster West and Colorado organizer Megan Davey about a 2021 solidarity campaign that Colorado Young Farmers ran to support a bill in the state house providing better labor standards for the state's agricultural workers. Well, hi, I'm Megan Davey. I am our Colorado organizer and I'm based in southwestern Colorado. Hi, I'm Erin Foster West. I'm the Western Campaigns Director for Young Farmers. I'm based in Denver, Colorado. This past legislative session in the winter and spring of this past year, we worked on the Agriculture Bill of Rights that passed in Colorado and was signed by the governor in June. And farmers were super involved in that bill. So the Agriculture Rights Bill was a pretty comprehensive package. It included minimum wage requirements and overtime requirements for ag workers. 
if it's really hot, making sure that people have access to water. There are also some provisions in there about access to service providers. So people could make sure they can get to the bank if they need to, or get to the grocery store or a food pantry and access legal assistance. It also prohibited use of the short-handled hoe. So prohibited use of that and also put some restrictions on um, overuse of hand weeding just to protect ag workers' backs and bodies as they're laboring. What else is in there, Megan? What am I missing? There's a lot in the bill. (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to remember everything. There's pieces, things in there about providing filtered and cold water, you know, things that seem really simple, Um, you know, and having shade and having rest breaks. Yeah, I forgot about the breaks gives people rest breaks during the day too. So I think some of the leaders from the Mile High chapter were involved in getting this group started called Project Protect Food Systems that arose, um, you know, out of a really present need that came out of COVID, just access to medical providers and PPE and some basic, basic things like that. And then it kind of just, you know, kept growing And because this coalition already was working with a lot of different partners, I think this idea um, sort of long overlooked and like very much needed idea for a package sort of ag worker um, protection bill came out of that. And yeah, so they started, I think, in the fall of 2020, having like coalition meetings to start talking about this. And Erin, I think that's kind of when you joined, is that right? (laughs) Well, we weren't really involved with Project Protect from the beginning, more of just being a supporter of Project Protect and the work that they were trying to do to support farm workers. Project Protect is still going. It's not over with this bill. They've created this whole Promotora network to support farm workers, which is basically a community health worker model of having people in farm worker communities and neighborhoods where farm workers are so they can provide like information and direct services to farm workers um, in the place that they are. And so that's still going on and I think is funded through the rest of the year. As um, Project Protect was working with farmers and farm workers, this need really arose. It was very obvious that workers didn't have the protections that they needed. And it was just so magnified by COVID. And for farm workers that were housed together, they were living in really close proximity and couldn't socially distance. So I think that was one protection that was needed that came up during COVID. And through that, you know, it's all interconnected with the power that farm workers have. And they don't have a lot of power because they have no rights. They really have no protections that all other workers, almost all other workers have had for pretty much a century. Through that, this coalition came together. There were a lot of groups involved through Project Protect and Project Protect reached out to other groups like Hispanic Affairs Project and Courts Justice and other groups. Um, And they already had ideas. You know, they've been working on this for a long time. And through that, the coalition kind of came together and discussed what were the highest priority things that needed to be achieved in this bill. The farmers raised money to get a lobbyist so they could have someone to represent them at the state house who knew the process really well because it was going to be a big bill and you know it's going to be a hard legislative session just with COVID. There were so many priorities and not a lot of funding available. They invited us to participate too um, since they were part of our network.
So Megan, how did you see farmers get engaged with the bill outside of the farmers that were really involved in organizing the coalition? Yeah, I think a couple ways come to mind. You know, we had this sort of Colorado state level policy committee that had also just formed um, in December of 2020. And one of the pieces in our policy platform that we put together with that group was about expanding farm worker protections. And through that and through individual sort of outreach, we were able, you know, to meet with some legislators, you know, virtually and folks were able to, you know, share their support for this bill. We also had a couple of people write op-eds, which was really impactful because there certainly were, you know, a good number of farmers and sort of different pieces of the agriculture industry that were against this bill. And to me, that op-ed and sort of piece was really helpful and just sort of having somebody support it and kind of go through some of the specifics of why they support it as a farmer. So yeah, kind of a few different, different ways to get there. Yeah. What about the committee hearings? I mean, I remember farmers testifying in the committee hearings I think having some of our members show up to speak for the bill really helped it move forward um, because that was where a lot of the pushback was coming from, was from ag groups. So having some farmers show up and say, no, I do really want this and it's really important and I want to work in an industry where we don't rely on the exploitation of people, I think made a really powerful argument and helped show policymakers like there is another world that we can strive for. And I think that agriculture can, can get there um, and they just needed some support from policymakers. One other thing I was thinking of, and especially in the policy committee group that we had, it felt like, you know, sort of a, almost a focus group of people that we were in constant communication with. We were able to work on and put forward amendments that were, you know, more suitable for farmers and something clicked in people's heads about, this bill isn't about me and recognizing like sort of the larger system and the how a lot of these things just have never been in place and the system wasn't designed to support agricultural workers. And so that was really a sort of mental shift too, I think for folks. Yeah. I remember like talking with one farmer who was like, I really support this bill. I think this is great. I have real concerns about overtime. So can we talk about overtime? And we were able to talk to the coalition and talk to the co-sponsors of the bill and say like hey is there any way we have a little flexibility in overtime and there were a bunch of amendments that got added to the bill on a number of the the provisions based on feedback from the ag industry Um, so like overtime um, they're figuring out in the rulemaking process so basically the department of labor and employment is looking at overtime rules for farm workers across the country and looking at feedback from the industry and from workers and they're going to put together a proposal for overtime. So I think having those farmers engage and being willing to support and decenter themselves, but also um, share where their like real concerns were was was helpful to getting a final bill that could pass. Thanks so much for listening to this series from the Young Farmers Podcast. We hope that hearing from these leaders can help offer you some inspiration for making change within your own community. When you're ready for some next steps, 
visit youngfarmers.org to download the resources that pair with each episode from the series to help you dream up, plan, execute, and maintain your own change campaigns. Then join us at Convergence 2021 to workshop your projects even more deeply in a community with other young farmers and organizing leaders. Take care of each other out there, and we'll talk to you soon. Any opinions expressed in this work do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the SARE program or USDA.